0: Welcome to Switchbacks, a national parks podcast. In 2015, Elizabeth and I quit our jobs to visit all of the U.S. national parks in one year, and ever since, we've been obsessed with all things national park service.
1: We're in week one of a 62-week tour of virtually revisiting a new national park each week through a podcast episode and in-depth guide on switchbackkids.com. We hope you learn something new and get inspired because the national parks are for everyone.
0: Today, we're going all the way back to the world's first national park, Yellowstone. So with a park as old and storied as Yellowstone, there's a lot to get into. So let's dive in.
1: Yeah, Yellowstone is truly one-of-a-kind, and it's probably best known for its it's got the largest collection of geysers in the world, also the largest range of free-roaming bison. Something interesting, though, is that it also contains the largest high-elevation lake in all of North America.
0: Yeah, it's basically one big supervolcano too, which is where all of this geothermal activity comes from. So if it ever decides to go active supervolcano, I think there are going to be a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Um, But until then, it's a great place to visit. So there's your quick facts, quick fun facts about Yellowstone.
1: Yeah, so throughout this podcast guide, we're going to cover an overview of the park how to visit, including how to get there, where to stay, think, what to do, um, a little bit about our trip, all sorts of activities for all kinds of people, plus a Q&A from our, that came straight from our Instagram followers.
0: Yeah, so overview, what it's famous for, we just said that, geysers, hydrothermal features, um, not just geysers though, that includes mud pots, um, hot springs, Fumaroles, which is all the steam coming out of the ground. Uh, Yellowstone is alive, and the you really feel that. The whole place is it.
1: basically on fire. <laughs> basically, just steaming, steam coming out of every crevice of the earth and around Yellowstone.
0: And uh, you know who loves that, in addition to the tourists, is the wildlife. Um, especially during the winter, but there's tons of wildlife. It's also known for that. The free-roaming free bison we mentioned, the grizzlies that uh, you know, cause bear jams all over the place, wolves, um, tons of you know, pronghorn, everything uh, centers in this you know, northwestern corner of Wyoming. Um, and, and it's an
1: interesting little corner for a lot of reasons. Humans have lived, of course, humans have lived in the area for over 11,000 years. Um, the exploration by European Americans began around the 1870s and Probably around, by a,
0: a guy named John Coulter actually uh, yeah he came back from seeing like this mad hell of Yellowstone and he uh, people thought he was crazy.
1: Yeah, can you imagine being, being the first one to like report that? <laughs> To the government,
0: <laughs> yeah, you you would absolutely think he's insane.
1: Well, somebody believed him, I guess, because it was management was taken over by the Department of the Interior, and Yellowstone was established as the as a national park, which was the world's first national park, um, on March first of eighteen seventy
0: two. Yeah, so that's the quick overview. Uh, now let's talk visiting the park. Um, when to visit? You know, of course you can go at all times, but there are definitely seasonal considerations. Winter, very few roads open, very few services. But But
1: we've heard it's so beautiful in the winter and there's no people. So there are pluses and minuses to all of these seasons.
0: And you get to ride around anywhere on a snowmobile. Mm -hmm. Um, Spring, there's still snow. There's still a lot of stuff closed, as we learned and uh, including bear closures because these bears are coming out of hibernation and they're ravenous Um, so kind of a dangerous time to run into a bear
1: in the summer um, of course it's highly accessible everything is for for the most part open but you're going to run into major crowds (laughs) massive crowds
0: yeah, and then in fall, unpredictable weather. Uh, you know, it could start snowing really early in the season. But if you hit a sweet spot, you know, uh, of that September time frame, lower crowds, much lower than July and August, and still good weather. Yeah, maybe we, a good we're big option. fans
1: of the shoulder season. I think. I think that can you can find really good situations there. Um, to get to the park. First of all, we covered this in a lot of depth in our podcast episode number 39, so if you want to go back to that episode, we covered planning ahead in all of the national parks. That's Um, in our
0: first season, season one.
1: Yeah, but getting to the park, there are several airports that are not that big. Um, The the airports are Cody, Wyoming, Jackson, Wyoming, uh, Bozeman, Montana, Billings, Montana, or Idaho Falls, Idaho. Um, This park is located actually in three different states. So you have, it's a huge, massive park, mostly in Wyoming, um, but kind of spills over into Montana and Idaho also.
0: And it's basically a square. You know, if you take a square in the northwestern corner of Wyoming, shift it to overlap Idaho and Montana a little bit, you have Yellowstone. Um, so most people really want a car to get around Yellowstone and the surrounding areas. Um, you can do a private tour, of course. Uh, we are always, you know, usually car people want the flexibility. Uh, a lot of people, of course, besides renting a car or an RV, uh, do road trip there. So that's a huge option. When I was little, you know, we, my family road tripped to Yellowstone and yours did too. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that, just getting there in itself, you know, 20 plus hours of driving from um, Missouri, at least, was an adventure.
1: Yeah, and we would highly recommend planning out your route within the park ahead of time. It's it's crazy how many people we talk to that, maybe not didn't talk to, but we hear about that deal... don't even look at a map, don't plan anything out before they arrive. And in a lot of national parks, you can kind of wing it when you, when you show up. Um, you can figure out what hikes to do, but Yellowstone is not quite that park. Um, it's, it's too big. It's so big.
0: And it's too there's, crowded.
1: There's a lot of traffic, a lot of huh. animal jams, a lot of construction, road construction. Um, you do not want to spend your time sitting in a car.
0: And you'd just be so stressed, well, at least I would be so stressed that I'm wasting my precious time. I spent 20 plus hours to drive here. I want to take advantage of the park and not worry about the logistics while I'm there. So
1: Absolutely. The park is situated, so like Cole said, it's a big square. The roads are kind of laid out into a figure eight, a giant figure eight with four different entrances. I believe four, five different entrances. There are
0: two on the west, or two on the east, one on the south, one on the west, one on the north.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, Which actually makes it pretty easy to plan out different loops within the park, so you're not backtracking and driving here and then deciding you want to go back over there and spending all your day in the car.
0: So if you you do have a car, uh, you can also do some really cool stuff around. Um, So that's... Uh, includes Grand Teton National Park, which if you're going to Yellowstone and you have a car, you have to go to Grand Teton uh, National Park. Um, Also connecting Grand Teton because it's only, what, 30 minutes, 45 minutes away from Yellowstone's south entrance. Um, In between Grand Teton to the south and Yellowstone to the north is John D. Rockefeller Memorial Parkway. Um,
1: yeah, so you're actually hitting another NPS site there, which most people probably don't know is even an NPS site. But you can get a stamp for it, also if you're counting stamps. Um, to the west, further west, if you're, you know, if you're flying into the Idaho Falls area or something, um, or situating around there, you could also visit Craters of the Moon National Monument, which we've we have not been to, but we've heard is quite amazing.
0: And then northeast is Bighorn Canyon National Recreation Area.
1: Yeah, so those are all extra NPS sites that maybe you would want to turn into a bigger road trip.
0: Um, So when you're not road tripping or driving around, obviously you have to end your day and put your head somewhere. So where to sleep? Um, Inside the park, it's got nine count them nine lodges (laughs) that might
1: be a record Uh,
0: yeah absolutely it's obviously yellowstone is very developed for all the traffic it gets um and uh, then 12 campgrounds so that's a ton too um i believe five of them take reservations perhaps um fact check me on that but Uh, there's also backcountry camping, of course, which is always a, uh, you know, you you can look at the reservation system and get your permit for that as well.
1: Yeah, you have to camp, if you're camping in the park, you have to camp in a designated site. They make that very, very clear in most, uh, most national parks are like this, Um, but you have to get a permit or pay a fee to camp inside the park. Um, And their camping website, their web, their uh, camping page on their website is really, really cool. And it's details which sites are reservable, which are not. You can reserve some sites through their website. And it also, when we visited, it listed by campground, it listed what time of day that they usually fill up for the first-come, 1st serve sites. So you can really plan around that as well.
0: Yeah, Yellowstone is a really user-friendly, planning-friendly park. Um, They do a lot of cool things like that, which I haven't seen in really any other park, um, because they, they get so need much to. Traffic. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. they're, they're equipped for it. And, um, outside the park, actually there's a lot of good sleeping options too. There's of course gateway towns, um, at any of the entrances because of the traffic Yellowstone gets, you have s- smallish gateway towns, uh, Gardner, um, West Yellowstone, Bozeman is not too far north, and those have private hotels, private campgrounds, Airbnbs. Um, But they also actually uh, have dispersed camping in their national forest areas. Um, Again, all, as we mentioned, there's a lot of park areas going on.
1: If you look at Google Maps, it's one big green area around this, this area of Wyoming and Montana and Idaho. And we... We're able to find some good free dispersed camping in three different national forests, Custer Gallatin to the north, Caribou Targi to the west, and Bridger Teton to the south, which we actually camped in after Grand Teton, not after Yellowstone. But still double check the regulations for that on the national forest website because they might have changed since we visited.
0: But you know, the great thing about that dispersed camping in the National Forest area is that it's free. It doesn't have any services, but
1: And you can kinda use it as a plan B like we did. So if the campgrounds are full, you and you're planning on camping, you can kinda use the National Forest areas as a as second option.
0: (laughs) Right. Say, you know, you decide you wanted to go to Yellowstone a month ago, all the stuff's reserved, you try to get a first come, first serve campground. But um, if you don't, you always have these fallback options of the dispersed camping. Um. So yeah, you said tons
1: of options.
0: You said that we did that. Um. So let's talk a little bit about our trip.
1: Uh, Yeah, we wanted to give you an idea of what this could look like in reality. So our trip, we visited Yellowstone in May two thousand sixteen, and like we mentioned, it was part of an all national parks year for us. Um. So, we were coming from the north from After Glacier National Park, and we spent a total of five days inside the park.
0: And one of those nights was in Gallatin National Forest. We just came through Bozeman, got our supplies, and uh, parked in this, uh, you know, just pulled off the road in Gallatin National Forest, uh, had a beautiful hilltop campsite with a great sunset, really overlooking. Um, down into the northern area of Yellowstone.
1: Yeah, somehow we always get the best sunsets inside dispersed camping. I don't know why.
0: <laughs> so then we had two nights in Madison Campground, which was actually a first-come, first-serve campground. So once we had...
1: I think part of it's reservable, but part of it's not, I, if I remember correctly. It's one of the bigger campgrounds, I think think.
0: Right, it's located right at a main junction, mm-hmm. so a great option to get a lot of different places. Madison Campground, and um, we were able to go there, you know, right in the morning. Since we were already camping right outside the park, we got there pretty quickly, grabbed our spot, and then again at the junction we were able to do um, go a lot of places from there. So two nights there, and then uh, the last night in Yellowstone we had in Caribou Targhee National Forest, which is um, just north of West Yellowstone uh, uh, Gateway Town.
1: Yeah, and again, easy, easy dispersed camping that we found there.
0: Yeah, not nearly as good a view as the first night.
1: Definitely not. When we visited, a lot of the activities that we wanted to do were closed and inaccessible because of, like we mentioned earlier, bear activity was a lot of bear activity um, caused the trails to be closed. During that time. So, what we mainly did, which we'll go into more depth in a little bit, um, we did a lot of geyser chasing using the schedules that the visitor center provides. We did a lot of like educational stuff, ranger programs, doing the visitor centers, a lot of scenic drives and wildlife watching. Um, And we even got to do some wolf watching near Lamar Valley, which was a big highlight.
0: Yeah, that was really special. And then we did hit, you know, probably the secondary activities, I would say, beyond the geyser, big geyser basins and beyond the wildlife were uh, Mammoth um, Hot Springs area or the Mammoth area. Um, It has a lot of, again, geothermal features, but they're a little different, a little tamer than the geysers down south. And then the West Thumb Lake area, just some nice lakeside hikes, and then Grand Canyon of the of the Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really covered a lot a of lot. those
1: like side, you know, just off the road sort of attractions that didn't require a lot of hiking, didn't require uh, too much effort at all. <laughs> right. That most visitors can access.
0: Right. It's so big that you know we spent five days there, and we still never got beyond. The really roadside stuff,
1: which is crazy, because if if the trails had been opened, we would have done so much more. We would have wanted to do so much more hiking, but we, yeah, there was just we definitely filled our time in five days.
0: Mm-hmm. So it, we filled our time. Anybody can fill your time, no matter what you're looking for, really, because there are so many different activities. Um, that's- yeah, let's
1: get into overall activities at Yellowstone. So first we're going to go through the must-sees. These are the things that all visitors should be doing unless maybe you've already seen them. <laughs> so definitely Old Faithful geyser. It's the most well-known geyser in Yellowstone. It's a, um, a predictable geyser so it erupts at about every 90 minutes oh, faithfully. <laughs> um, it's located in the upper geyser basin area which We'd also really recommend walking around to some of those other geysers around there.
0: And it takes some time when you're doing that because there are tons of boardwalks, tons of geysers. Some are predictable, some aren't. And you just want to um, be able to stroll around those boardwalks, I think. Um,
1: How many times did we end up watching Old Faithful erupt? I think it was like six.
0: Yeah, it was five or six. We
1: spent, which times 90 minutes, we spent all day in this area. And you definitely can easily.
0: And then there's uh, the middle geyser basin, which um, you know has things like the Grand Prismatic Spring. That's where that is, right? Um, so yeah, the Grand Prismatic Spring is a very iconic um, colorful hole in the ground. Um, because the geothermal activity creates all these different algaes and um, microorganisms that uh, of different colors. So you'll see stuff like this Grand Prismatic Spring that just have a rainbow inside them. Um, absolutely worth a a look because you yeah, won't see is, anything this like This is
1: it. one of the pictures you've probably seen if you've seen a picture of Yellowstone. Um, a, a few other basins that we would throw out. Norris Geyser Basin has a ton also, a ton of the geothermal, hydrothermal activity, um, and the West Thumb Geyser Basin too. And then finally, the last thing that I, th- I feel like everyone should do is find some wildlife, do some scenic driving. We loved the wildlife up in Lamar Valley specifically. Um, it's a little bit more remote feeling. Um, You're it going wasn't there quite for crowded, the wildlife. Right, so you can kind of slow down. There's not as many like things to, attractions to pull over for, <laughs> so you have a little bit more time to just chill and, and uh, be patient and find some wildlife.
0: A good breather away from the boardwalks and everything. Um, but honestly, if you can't get out there, uh, it's where the wolves are, so you probably, well, mostly are, you know, obviously they're around all over, but um, it gives you your best chance of seeing wolves. But otherwise... Uh, you can see all the wildlife just in regular drives, you know, around the park. You have to drive so much, as we've talked about, that you can see um, the wildlife as you're going, too.
1: Yeah, and finally, I would add one more thing to the must-see category, and that's go to, going to some visitor center. There's a, several visitor centers in Yellowstone that are great. Um, we especially loved the Old Faithful Visitor Education Center, which has a lot of good exhibits, it opens right up to Old Faithful, so if, you know, if you're waiting for the eruption, um, you can spend a little bit of time reading and learning about the park, and just maybe attend a ranger program, do something to learn more about why this park is, why it was established, why it's so important uh, to be protected, and why you're there.
0: And the fun fact about the visitor center, or maybe it was the lodge, it's one of those buildings right next to each other. It's the largest log building in uh, the country.
1: Yeah, tons. There's just tons of history at Yellowstone. There's, like, fun facts around every corner.
0: (laughs) So, again, our favorites were Upper Geyser Basin that has Old Faithful, the Old Faithful Visitor Center because it really does a great job of education and how all the geysers work and everything. And then Wolf Watching. Um, just a, a, a fun um, anecdote on that is you know, we've talked, we've said they're in Lamar Valley, you know, they're really hard to spot. But one thing that makes it easier is that you'll probably, see, we even saw from the road actually huge. Congregations of cars in a certain spot. So, you know, it, a good thing to remember about the national parks is if you see a lot of cars, you might want to check it out and see what's going on. Um, so, that happened to have a group of wolf watchers and enthusiasts who were posted up in this, you know, specific area because they had all of their scopes trained on a wolf den. Uh, where a ma- mama wolf had just had, you know, I don't know, three young cubs or something. Um, so it's so rare, the people told us, to be able to see those cubs.
1: Yeah, they, they knew their numbers, their ID numbers, yeah. and they were like wolf experts. Like the, one, the lady who let us look through her scope had wolf earrings on. She was like the real deal.
0: So you'll run into the, hopefully, um, you know, if you run into those people, you can pull over, take some time and talk to them and learn from them and, you know, look through their scope.
1: (laughs) Be nice about it. Um, So a few favorites from followers that that also added, because we were not able to do everything at the park, um, just a few, a list of a couple other favorites. Somebody said hiking to Fairy Falls. Um, Someone said hiking Avalanche Peak was their favorite. Um, In addition, some backcountry hiking, visiting in the winter when the park was nearly empty, and watching the wolves and the grizzly bears like we mentioned. So those were some of your favorites.
0: Now, besides favorites, uh, which in Yellowstone happened to be like the big name things, we also had a few secrets we wanted to dish out. Um, and you know some of them are also budget tips. Uh, but the first secret we mentioned is dispersed camping. So take advantage of dispersed camping. Um, second, evening is actually a great time to visit the park. Everybody talks about getting up super early and seeing the attractions before the big crowds get there. But, and that's really good too. You know, we got to Upper Geyser Basin for, you know, basically uh, before anybody else. Uh, but evening when the tours end, the families are eating dinner, is a great like twilight time to just stroll around and get a lot lower crowds.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then finally, the last thing that we didn't quite know before arriving to the park Was that the visitor center provides the estimated times of the geyser eruptions that are predictable? Um, So maybe you go and plan out your next day, or maybe you you know you pop in and ask and look look at the schedule, and then because some erupt like Old Faithful every ninety minutes, some erupt every like four hours. um, So to see when they twice a day, right? To see when they align, um, you may want to check out that schedule ahead of time.
0: Okay, and then the next section of activities, um, we've done must-sees and secrets, um, family activities. So one big one of this, of course, with all national parks, you have junior ranger programs, but in Yellowstone, it's a little different. Um, They're for ages 4 to 13, and they actually cost uh, $3, which was funny when I saw that. Um, $3, because usually they're free, uh, for a you know, full-color booklet. Um, but you can also print them at home, which is a, a great tip if you want a lot, a lot of them for the family. Um, so there's the Junior Ranger and also a separate program called the Young Scientist Program, which is for ages 5 plus and differentiated by um, age category. So that's really more focused on the sciencey part part of, of the park.
1: Yeah, I was really impressed with their website for families and kids. Um, even if you're not going to this park, there's so much to learn about Yellowstone on their website that's geared specifically towards kids, an interactive map where you can click on different animals in different areas and learn about the geysers, um, and all sorts of things. Plus, they, there's additional ranger programs that would be great for kids. Um, you know, kids would love looking at the wildlife. Kids would love some of the tra- the hiking trails. Um, of course, there are some safety considerations, especially when it comes to wildlife and the geothermal areas, um, but I do think that kids can have a great time at Yellowstone.
0: Yeah, I will, um, like I mentioned, Yellowstone and our vacation there, actually two vacations there when I was younger, are just like burned in my memory as as so different and so like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um So then the last activity category that I had to throw in is the big adventure category, and Yellowstone has no shortage of that, Um, but I'll highlight two things. First of all, backpacking to a backcountry geyser. We've mentioned most of the trails were closed when we were there, Um, so we didn't get to do anything backcountry, but if we go back... I am definitely going to hike to a backcountry geyser. And one place I've heard that's great for that is getting to the Shoshone geyser basin. Um, It has geysers that are, you know, just right off the trail. There aren't any boardwalks. Um, You just kind of run into them and then um, hopefully not like really run into them, but... Uh, also hot springs that you can actually soak in after a nice long hike and after you've set up that backcountry campsite. And then, of course, you're hiking through the same wilderness as a bunch of grizzlies, bison, um, you can so you can see great wildlife. In this particular trail, which is a 34-mile out and back and, again, includes the Shoshone Geyser Basin, you cross uh, the 8,000 foot Grants Pass and um, then you get to Shoshone Lake. So this one is going to be at the top of my list when I go um, back to Yellowstone. And then maybe what is at the top of my list a couple trips after that when I am old and get really into fly fishing is uh, going to some backcountry fishing spot uh, because that's another huge... um, I guess you could say big adventure, uh, option in Yellowstone is the fishing. Uh, one place I saw that was really great for that is Slough Creek, S L O U G H Creek, and has, uh, some of Yellowstone's best cutthroat fishing apparently. Uh, so would definitely check out some place where you can do that, get, you know, miles away from the crowds and, and just, uh, stand in a stream all day.
1: So really there are adventures for everybody from, from families to these giant adventures that Cole just mentioned. And now we have just a few Q&As to, to do. Um, these were submitted by Instagram followers, um, so you can always leave us a voicemail on our website, send us an email, ask these questions, get these questions in for future parks. So the first question is, how to avoid, how do I avoid crowds at Yellowstone? That is a big one. And part of that we've mentioned already. Um, We've mentioned going into the, like thinking about maybe visiting in the evening rather than just the morning and the afternoon. The evening is kind of one of those subtle times to visit that actually is pretty quiet. Uh, We've also mentioned visiting off season for different kinds of experiences in the park.
0: And then um, also spending some time in the surrounding areas, you know, that obviously avoids some of the crowds and you get a lot of the same wildlife. The the wildlife doesn't know crowd boundaries um, or or park boundaries. So, you know, if you need a breather, take uh, a trip there. And then the second question one of you all had was, is Yellowstone safe for children? And, and
1: I think specifically like toddlers, yeah, which is tricky um, because like we mentioned, there are a lot of options for slightly older kids. Um, Safety-wise, I will say that a lot of the boardwalks when you're walking around the um, hydrothermal areas, the hot springs and the boiling water <laughs> right off the trail, um, a lot of the boardwalks don't have any guardrails, don't have any fences, um, so keep this in mind when you're bringing your... Toddlers to the park. Um, I definitely think it's possible, especially with something like a stroller or a lot of, because a lot of the boardwalks are handicap accessible. Um, making sure your kids are close to you, like wearing a backpack or baby wearing, um, are also good options.
0: And if they're a little older, I would definitely, you know, just explain to them how this is such a different place. Than any place they've been before, and that's why it makes it so cool and so fun to see. But also a place where they really need to be careful and stay close. Um, Yeah,
1: and then there are quite a few more open spaces where where uh, kids can definitely roam around a little bit freer, like picnic areas and campgrounds and places that are developed enough to keep to feel like you're in a safe place, Um, but not you know it's definitely not Disney World. It's definitely not a play, there's not going to be a playground, things like that.
0: So the third and final question, with, with such a big park, what is the ideal itinerary to do it right? Of course, that's an impossible question, but we'll give it our best shot because that's what we're here for. Um, you know, first we would say, you know, remember there's this figure eight, and I would say of roads, and I would say, um, go counterclockwise, so... Do
1: well, the- you don't need to go counterclockwise, but the biggest thing is to just plan ahead. Look at a map and see what your most your biggest priorities are. Um, this sam this example itinerary that we put together does go cl- count. It happens to go counterclockwise.
0: Yeah, because I think it leads from one good spot to another. You know, you spend one day in the Old Faithful area, so that's the lower geyser basement basin. You also connect that to West Thumb uh, and Grant Village area in the southeast. So that's kind of your south day. Um, Then you go into Yellowstone Lake and to Canyon Village. From there, that's your east day. So you're going a little farther up into the east. Um, That also has the falls the um uh the Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon of, the of the Yellowstone, yeah.
1: So some different kind. That's like a very different day. And Then one day could be exploring Lamar Valley to Mammoth Hot Springs. That's that north area, which we found to be a little bit quieter, a lot of good wildlife. Um, and then the Mammoth Hot Springs, like we said, has some of those more subtle geothermal areas. And then spend one more day going from the Norris area to the Madison area. If you're looking at the map. Um, which has a lot of the geothermal activity.
0: And at that point you'll be ready for more because you haven't seen it since day one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a quick four day itinerary there, something to th- something to check out.
1: Of course, you can spend as I think you can spend as much or as little time as you want in Yellowstone. You can make it fit into your whatever amount of days you have, the more, the better, I think. Uh, but obviously not everyone has a ton of time.
0: Yep, always a balance. And uh, so w- we'll just leave you, we've talked a lot about the logistics, the activities. We'll leave you with something a little different to think about. Um, and we'll try to do this with each park. So with Yellowstone, responsible park visiting, um, we've talked about how many people there are, how much traffic, the very small, concentrated areas of the park get. Um, that means the visitors have to understand it's not a theme park and have to be responsible. Um, that means um, being responsible with the wildlife and not trying to you know agitate them or get too close to them um, and being responsible with the geysers. Uh, so with the wildlife... We hear stories about that all the time. It feels like every summer last summer, I remember seeing on the national news a story where some um you know teenager got flipped up in the air by a bison because they were getting too close with their selfie stick and could not get away from those horns in time when the the bison decided he was tired of being annoyed. Um,
1: yeah, it, every year there's something different and it, and most of the time almost all in every case it's the responsibility of the visitor that has been not taken care of. <laughs> so yeah, and we, it, the year that we visited, someone actually fell through the like the crust of the earth and 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 died from burns from the from the hot springs. But they weren't you know, they didn't fall off the boardwalk. They they were like a half a mile off the boardwalk walking where they clearly weren't supposed to be walking.
0: I remember another story where uh, uh, somebody's dog got loose, and um, they rushed into like the dog jumped into a boiling um, mud pot, and the owner dove in headfirst after them and didn't make it out. Um, so there's tons of stories like that. Um, they're uh, gruesomely like captivating, but also it's not just like we can kind of say, oh well, we'll never be that stupid, right? But it's also just like getting your car a little too close because you're trying to get get up to the elk that's right next to the um, grazing, right next to the road, and take a picture. Um, I think that's probably what happened uh, two days ago. So I found I was looking through some news stories and found uh, one about a bison in Yellowstone headbutting a car and popping their tire. Um so, you know, it's just not something you want to you, know, you don't you don't want to mess with the wildlife. They're in their home. You're a visitor type thing. Um so really just practice that responsible visiting. Right now is mating season. It's in full swing with the bison. There's a similar thing for elk. So um they will come after you, or your car. Uh, It it can get seriously messed up uh, by these animals. And um, yeah, just just, uh, be be nice. Something to think about. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Definitely something to think about. Park responsibility.
0: So that covers Yellowstone.
1: Yeah, first park. World's first national park. It's the it's a lot of it's the park that a lot of people think of first when they think of national parks the the geysers the the wild the extreme wildlife just all of it
0: yeah and uh, we were trying to cover this all in obviously so much information for Yellowstone we were trying to target uh, 30 minutes or less but obviously we were close we were close <laughs> We're enough. in
1: the 30s. Yes. I'm going to say that's good. Um
0: <laughs> But we'll try to do better next time. Uh, And let's go ahead and close it out.
1: Yeah, so thank you guys so much for joining us as we revisited the world's first national park, Yellowstone. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear from you on our website, switchbackkids.com, or on social media at switchbackkids.
0: Tell us what you liked and what you want to hear more of and send us your questions for future parks, like we said. Um, Next week, we'll be heading out west wester even to visit sequoia and kings canyon national parks until then switchbacks out.
1: out